booth this evening as our third co-host Nick Gavinden prepares for his final collegiate theater production so uh, we are recording without him but hoping that he breaks a leg uh, in exchange for not being here Uh, I am joined by a man who has never broken his leg but has broken his arm it is Caleb Rhodes it's true I have broken both my ankles and that's not that's and that's not even including all the times you've had your ankles broken on the pitch, which is uh, <laughs> <laughs> which would make it about five or six broken ankles. Nah, nah, um, I'm a dom- dominant, dominant fullback. Dominant, dominant fullback. Just Absolutely. don't give him an open goal to shoot at. No, no, um, that's not my job. No, certainly not his job. Um, and I'm Nathan Strauss. I've never broken a leg. I've never broken an arm. Actually, Kayla, when we met, you had your elbow in a sling i think that was from a, a summer biking accident perhaps is that am i remembering that right yes i uh yeah mountain biking incident yeah Cape i mean that's, that's that's the problem when you're a daredevil like yourself caleb absolutely but, uh, i i think i'm known as a risk taker amongst my friends um for sure a so. risk i mean yeah <laughs> some, some would say that um <laughs> but uh speaking of teams that did not take risks uh, well, first of all, I'm Nathan Strauss, obviously, uh, but teams that did not take risks. Uh, this is, of course, a Champions League match day. If it seems like it's been forever since the Champions League has uh, had a game take place, that is because it has been since the first week of November since we've seen Champions League action. So it's about time, you know, three months later. Since November finally... 2nd, it's been over yeah. three months, which is crazy. That's a that's a long time. I mean, it's, it's such a, and it's a long time too, because we've had, they, they made not maybe, maybe not a mistake, but they had the draw that next week. They had the draw, um, the week after, like before the world cup started. So we've had the ties for so long, but unfortunately no one really remembers them or remembered them rather because no, I had no clue. I had yeah, no I, clue. Well, I, I remembered the big ones. I did not remember some of the little ones. Um, uh, but you know, I started off by saying a team that did not take risks and much like in 1940, when German invaders took the French capital, PSG decided to just hunker down in their own half playing what was essentially a 4-6-0 against Bayern, who have been somewhat resurgent as of late. And despite uh, uh, the introduction or reintroduction of Kylian Mbappe to the PSG 11 in the second half as he returns from injury, uh, Bayern ended up coming away with a much-deserved uh, 1-0 win. They had the first 11 shots of the game. PSG's nine shots all came after the 55th minute of this one. And frankly, it's just not winning soccer, and it's it's pretty cowardly. I know there's no away goals rule anymore, but this was uh, defensive crap soccer from what is supposed to be a super team in PSG. Yeah, I mean, I think you could certainly say that PSG were collaborating with Bayern Munich's um, tactical plan. Um, that's for sure. And in that sense, it was even you know furthered by the fact that it was Kingsley Coman, you know, former PSG youth player um, and Ligue 1 winner, I guess technically, um, who scored the win. He Kingsley Coman does not score a lot of goals, but he tends to score very important goals, um, such as you know the winner in what was it the twenty. 20- 19 
Champions League final between Bayern and PSG. Is that correct? Do I have that right? I think so. That sounds right to me. Yeah, I think so. Um, this man's a trophy machine, by the way. Tro- trophy machine. Um, I think I think he still has the record of winning uh, a league title in every season of his career across both PSG, Juventus, and then Bayern Munich. But I guess we'll get to you know Bundesliga watch later. Um, we'll see if that's still going to be the case. But it was a really strange start um, to the game because PSG were sitting very deep, and yet there was so much space um, for Bayern to kind of hit diagonal balls. Um, and really kind of like probe at PSG's defense. I don't quite understand, you know, Galtier's, you know, love affair with Sire Emery. That's nothing against, you know, him as a player. It's just the fact that, you know, he is an inexperienced 16-year-old who is keeping, you know, significantly more experienced players like Fabian Ruiz, like Vitinha, um, who, you know, at the beginning of the season was, you know, I think one of the sort of surprise you know important players in this psg side um and really it was quite clear that you know psg wanted to play the counterattack, but the only people they had to play that counterattack were messi and neymar and you know neither of them are really the type that want to get onto the end of long balls really they're the ones who want to play them and so it's no surprise that as soon as mbappe came on you know back fit enough to play you know part of the second half that suddenly, you know, they became more alive. Um, but in general, I think a very disappointing showing for the Parisians, you know, at home. They did have a few goals, you know, ruled off sides. And I thought, you know, Jan Sommer um, especially has really sort of taken his opportunity in the Bayern net so far. But um, they're in, I think, a, a pretty deep hole right now, despite the fact that it's only, you know, 1-0 aggregate as it stands. Yeah, I just thought that... Um... You know, I get wanting to play a little bit defensive and, you know, recognizing that you are you don't have Mbappe for more than half an hour or so. But at the same time, the way that PSG dropped both lines so deep immediately makes it hard to counter because I think part of countering is actually having the ability to, like, get bodies forward at all. And when you have 10 men behind the ball in your own final quarter or final third, it's just never going to happen. And Messi, as fast and technical as he is, um, his best attribute in this game was being able to spring Neymar forward. But again, Neymar is not a center forward. He's a winger. So, um, And Zaire Emery looked okay, I thought, at times. like He, had, he combined well with Messi uh, trying to set up Neymar, who then took a touch that took him wide. But again, you know, PSG were playing with three defenders, six midfielders, and a forward. It was actually sort of... Um, Pep Guardiola-esque, I guess, from Nagelsmann. And uh, yeah, and obviously one of those center backs in, in Pavard was, you know, formerly a right back as well. So I don't know. This was not this was not great from PSG. This was uh, not great watching. These two days of Champions League soccer were pretty poor uh, and surprisingly poor. There were only five goals scored across the four games. But Bayern are certainly huge favorites going into the return leg in, in three weeks' time. Uh, in Munich. The other game on Tuesday was Spurs heading to the San Siro to take on, or sorry, to the Stadio Giuseppe Miazza <laughs> um, to take on an AC Milan team, which had won just one game in their last seven. They have really sort of fallen back to earth uh, this year in a big way. All of their 
sort of slightly above average players who performed exceptionally well last year have regressed slightly uh, with the exception of Rafael Leao and the emergence of Malik Fiao. But uh, naturally, Spurs came to town, so AC Milan took an early lead and then held on for the rest of the game. <laughs> as, as is often the case, Spurs are uh, uh, a, a very nice thing to see, a nice team to face in front of you when you are uh, on a losing streak. So uh, I, I can't imagine that many people outside of diehard Serie A fans and masochists uh, AKA Spurs fans were watching this game over Bayern PSG, but uh, yeah, again, you have the uh, you have uh, AC Milan leading Spurs after one leg. I don't know, Caleb. Do you have any big takeaways from this aside from Wow, Spurs lineup is is so garbage they can't even rotate. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this was a great. This was a great. Wasn't a great game. I think Spurs right came into this. Um, on kind of strange form, you know, they had beaten uh, Manchester City at home 1-0 as they're kind of, I think, you know, contractually obligated by Amazon Prime to do, I think, <laughs> um, before, you know, getting absolutely shellacked by Leicester. Leicester. Yeah. And so I, I think this whole, I, I mean, honestly, like Spurs over the past several years, it's like, you know, one great performance against a top team and then just like an inability to get it done against basically anyone else. And so it's no surprise you end up in like sixth place in the league um, somewhat consistently. Um, I think in this instance, you know, you mentioned the ability to rotate and, you know, they were missing, I think, basically all of their, you know, top three choice center midfielders um, in, you know, Bentoncourt and Hoiberg and um, uh, Basuma. And so they had to start, you know, Sar and Skip. Um, Skip, you know, is 22 now. I think he had a good start under Conte, but has definitely, you know, fallen down the pecking order uh, and is heading towards kind of Ryan Mason uh, territory. Um, and, you know, Sar, uh, Pape Sar is 20. So I just don't think this is like the first choice midfield that they wanted exactly. Um, and so it's just, it's just a bit of a disappointing result overall, but certainly I don't think a lot of people were watching this one, one final point on the PSG game though, is that PSG have been in terrible form. Um, recently this loss to Bayern was, you know, their third on the bounce. They lost to Marseille two one on February 8th. They lost to Monaco, um, in a, fixture that you know five years ago or six years ago was called El Cashico. I'm not sure they still use that branding now. Um, and then to Bayern, things have really fallen apart um, and since they beat uh, the Riyadh all-star team uh, five to four and then uh, Pays de Cassel seven nil in a game where you they know, started we, their full. We talked about this. They started their full strength. They uh, started full strength eleven, and Mbappe scored what five goals or something like that. Yeah, they played um, Mbappe ninety minutes, and then you wonder why he gets a hamstring injury. It's because you waste him playing bullshit minutes against the sixth division side who can't even host a game in their own stadium. Yeah. So, so I I think honestly, this first after you know over three months of build up, in a sense, um, these first games disappointed. Um, a little bit. And then obviously in the second day of Champions League games, um, I would say it didn't get a ton better. You have Dortmund um, beating, you know, new look Chelsea 
who continue to lose games. Um, I mean, right? Oh, right? Like actually, they... actually, they continue to lose games and draw games because they can't score. And again, Kai Havertz has... I'm so curious what his legacy is going to be because he's really bad in as, as this striker for Chelsea. And he was so talented. You know, he had an 80 million price tag as like an 18 and 19 year old playing as like a, a cam, but he's so lanky and not particularly fast. And so I'm still just not quite sure like what he's good at. And he has scored 30 goals for Chelsea. Which is like twenty five more than I would think, including a Champions League winner. Including a Champions League winner, which is why I think his legacy is going to be, you know, really, really interesting. But we're also looking at someone who's twenty three years old, is coming up on his three hundredth club game, and I'm still not sure about his position or best best position or future with this team. Mikhailo Mudrik has been god awful <laughs> in his like four or five games now with Chelsea. Um, he had a good cameo off the bench against Liverpool in his debut. But it's like he has never passed the ball before. Like, I don't know what the standard of defending is like in the Ukrainian Premier League. But when he gets the ball, it's like all he knows how to do is run straight and fast. And it's not like his touch is very good either. Um, but there's obviously potential there. But hey, I, for one, am shocked. Yeah. Shocked. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they've sort of been um, they've sort of been Stockholm syndrome into playing Hakim Ziyech like every game on the right wing after they screwed up his loan move to PSG on deadline day. Joel Felix has been pretty good. He's actually been, I think, far and away the best of their transfers. Enzo has looked good. Um, but again, like there's nothing in front of him and Chelsea's insistence on signing, you know, every single young winger and outside back slash center back. But not bringing in a or not figuring out the future of their striking position, and frankly, leaving out the likes of a of Aubameyang from their squad for the Champions League, like they continue to shoot themselves and themselves. Excuse me, they continually shoot themselves in the foot. So, uh, Graham Potter uh, is going to be. Uh, I I feel like the, the the seat is already hot when you take the job at Chelsea, and uh, they've just looked really bad. Although shout out to Adiemi, really nice goal that he scored. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because, you know, Chelsea lost 1-0. That's just the facts. But they, you know, outshot Dortmund. They created more big chances. They outpassed Dortmund narrowly. I don't think it was, in a way, like an awful performance. It's just, and perhaps this is just in part because they are playing Havertz, you know, out of position as an out-and-out striker. They don't have someone really on the end of things. Um and I think the story of Havertz at Chelsea has been a story of sort of misuse by several managers. And again, bringing in a player like Jao Felix, who I, I agree is quite good, honestly cramps the kind of position that you would, in fact, want, you know, a Havertz to be playing in. I also think, you know, a lot of these moves have also made it more difficult to find a place for Mason Mount um, in the team who, you know, during, you know, the Lampard and sort of, Tuchel eras was I think you know like the best player in a lot of ways and I agree it's it's nonsensical squad construction that's really I think making most of the attackers um worse around each other and that but that's that's been the story not just under Bowley I think that's been over the past several years I mean the summer that they bought you know Ziyech and Havertz and Werner um and I think maybe oh and Pulisic right it was like the same summer transfer window you know plus or minus that I, I was like, wow, they've just spent, you know, like 200 odd million to pull together like a really exciting 
you know, attacking quartet and it hasn't clicked. And I think they've spent literally probably half a billion dollars over the past four years bringing in attackers. Um, and none of the, none of the formations have clicked, um, at all. And, you know, it doesn't help that you switch managers and, and owners, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I mean, Raheem Sterling, I, I, where, where does he fit into this team now? He's certainly better than Mudrik, but sort of for political reasons, they can't drop Mudrik now either, can they? So a bit of a mess. I also think, at least on Dortmund's side of things, I think Dortmund played quite well. You know, Emery Chan saved a ball off um, the goal line. As you mentioned, Adeyemi had a nice solo goal. Um, and I think they're probably like good money to go through and they've been in you know, solid form recently um, in, in, in the Bundesliga. In fact, they haven't lost, they haven't dropped a point um, since they lost a friendly, I guess. So they didn't even drop points uh, to Fiorentina during the World Cup. They haven't dropped points since they lost to Mönchengladbach in November. So they're actually on fairly shockingly good form. Um, so credit to them in this game, I think. Yeah, and then um, you know, in in a game which I guarantee you no one watched, uh between the two weakest teams remaining in the Champions League, uh Benfica and Club Bruges as a result of how well Club Bruges played in the Champions League group stage, uh this game was at the Jan Bredelin Stadion in in Bruges and uh Benfica scored twice and kept Bruges uh, shot for again 55 minutes and it wasn't very close uh, despite the late introduction of former Barcelona B legend Ferran Jutgla who sneaky has eight goals and four assists in the Belgian league by the way Club Bruges now managed by Scott Parker so the more you know but yes this game was uh, not that that watched because of two games that were happening simultaneously uh, alongside it Real Madrid beating Elche 4-0 and Arsenal Man City. Before we talk about Arsenal Man City, we can look ahead briefly to next week's Champions League ties, all of which I think are equally or more compelling than today's games. We've got Frankfurt Napoli, which has like real Europa League final vibes. Uh, Napoli have been unstoppable, uh, unless you're Cremonense. They've been unstoppable uh, the last, I don't know, six months or so. Uh, Liverpool Real Madrid on Tuesday as well. Uh, Inter Porto on Wednesday and Leipzig Man City, certainly not one for the uh, for the anti-capitalists there. But uh, we will obviously have commentary on all of those games as well. Um, and of course, tomorrow is the uh, start of the Europa League round of 32. So before all of the seeded teams come in, like Arsenal, um, the unseeded teams like Barcelona and Man United have to play for the right to potentially draw a team like Arsenal. And there are some bangers in there as well. Ajax Union Berlin is definitely the game that I'm going to be watching at noon. Um, although, Caleb, I'm sure you'll probably be watching Barca United. There's also Salzburg, Roma, Leverkusen, Monaco at, at three, which is fun. Uh, Juve and Nantes, which is a crazy matchup. Uh, and then Sevilla PSV, which is like real, um, real Europa League vibes. And then, of course, there's the Conference League round of 32. But if you watch that, um, I question you a little bit, uh, <laughs> but, uh, we mentioned it briefly, uh, but, uh, we should maybe talk a bit about, uh, the Bundesliga quickly before we talk about Arsenal United, because 
Uh, Dortmund, yes, you mentioned that they've had this this crazy run of form. They've won every game since the World Cup break, and they now find themselves just three points off of Bayern Munich, who lead the league. But the marquee fixture this last weekend was between our favorites, Union Berlin, who again haven't lost since before the World Cup break, as they traveled to Leipzig to take on uh, RB Leipzig, who were also on a crazy run of form. And despite Leipzig taking uh, the lead early on, uh, courtesy of a very nice goal from from uh, right back Ben Heinrichs, who was playing as like a, a midfielder, uh, Union Berlin struck back with some absolute bangers of their own, including, in, in my opinion, the, as of right now, the Bundesliga goal of the season from Jana Kaberer, who scored a volley off of a corner that uh, was just sexy, and then uh, a clear penalty given up by dumb defending from Xavier Schlager uh, led to Leipzig score, or rather, led to Union Berlin scoring their first penalty in the Bundesliga this year, and they are now just one point behind Bayern with eighteen, uh, excuse me, with sixteen games to go. So this game was this game was great, and uh, Union Berlin really good value for money right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I watched this game. It was a what East Germany kind of battle between you know i think the the nouveau riche and the uh the nouveau riche the yeah i guess energy drink powered rv leipzig you know of course against the iron workers against the against labor right it's very uh yeah and like i mean like union aren't even you know like the the big biggest team in in berlin that'd be you know hertha who find themselves uh, in 16th place in the sort of relegation qualification um, zone. And so Union definitely like the small traditional kind of like people's club versus, you know, a club sort of built on the, I guess, legal basis of a, a fifth division club. And I think before the game, it was definitely Union trying to bring out that contrast um, by <laughs> referring to RB Leipzig um, in some of their pre-match stuff as, you know, whatever the name for that fifth division club was. Oh, um, Stat or whatever. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was, it was a, so I think there's a lot of like, I think. Markenstadt is what I was thinking of. Yeah, yeah. Like history at play in this fixture. And then obviously, you know, a lot to play for Union who sort of, I guess, you know, five or six games ago, maybe. Um, in sort of like the teens games of this Bundesliga season, we thought um, might be starting to lose pace with Bayern. Then Bayern, of course, drew, what was it, the first three games back um, from the World Cup. And suddenly we really do have, you know, quite the battle um, at the top of the standings. Bayern on 43, Union on 42, Dortmund on 40. The goal difference still is... Um, <laughs> A little bit stacked <laughs> towards Bayern, I would say. Forty-one. Hang on, wait, hang on. That's that's so that's their their goal difference is equal to Unions plus Dortmunds plus Freiburgs plus a little bit plus more than half of Leipzig. So basically, they they have a, a positive goal difference equal to like teams three through four and a half or two through four and a half in the standings. That's not yeah. And so I think you know in the end, you know that is a helpful indicator about the relative quality. Um, and so there's definitely a lot to do, but for now, at least, you know, Bundesliga watch, um, is on. And I think Union are finding ways to get points in a way that, you know, maybe this is like a, 
too easy an analogy. I don't know, but it does kind of remind me of a Leicester type thing where, you know, at the beginning of the season, they were blowing teams out a little bit, but by the end, it was really kind of like nicking, you know, one nil wins, keeping clean sheets. And in this case, you know, going down early, but then scoring a great goal and then getting a penalty that's sort of put away um, well late in the game. And I think the difference being, I'm not sure they have the kind of star power that, you know, that Leicester team had in a nascent way in, you know, like Conte and Mares and obviously Jamie Vardy. Um, but they have enough pieces that work well together. And so far, they don't seem to be missing um, Ryerson, who, of course, moved to, to Dortmund too much. Um, either. So I think the Bundesliga has now moved back into a league worth watching um, for at least, you know, it's it's a game by game basis. But for now, it's on. It's on. Yeah. And I mean, we got to talk about their transfer business as well, because they lost Ryerson. They lost Genki Haraguchi, both to other Bundesliga teams. And then they brought in, you know, they brought in Josip Juranovic, who from Celtic for like a little bit more than what they received for Ryerson. Um, but they also brought in Aysa Laiduni, the Tunisian from Ferencvaros. And he looked pretty good, um, you know, the other day as well in the middle of their midfield. So they have a bit of like money ball about them, which I think Leicester did as well. Although it's obviously harder to, I think, create value the same way Leicester did. Uh, and they did talk about this. They mentioned it on the broadcast as well, where um, I think Leicester was 5,000 to one. And then because of the nature of Bayern's dominance in Germany, Union were like 8,000 to one or something at the start of the season. But uh, regardless, the Bundesliga is a is a very fun league to watch right now. We have, I think on the balance of things, Caleb, this is the tightest race in each of the big five leagues that we've seen probably in our lifetime, I think, across all five leagues, because you have a true uh, title race right now in England, which we'll get on to now. Um, you've obviously got a Bayern team that's used to winning um, you know, the, the shot, what is it? The Meisters Shala. What's, what's their trophy called for winning the league in Bundesliga? I couldn't tell you. They are the Meister Shala. It's something like that. <laughs> we'll go um, with that. Oh, so I know they are the record Meister. Um, cause they've won the record amount of championships, but, uh, we've got a title race there. We've got three teams within three points of each other at the top of the table, France. We have PSG who are still a, a game clear at the top, but, um, with competition from a couple of other teams, which is not always the case. Napoli are looking to, uh, you know, win their first Serie A title in many, many, many years. And that's a good race as well. And Barcelona, weirdly, are, I think the team that's sitting the most comfortable right now at the top of the Liga table. They're up, what, eight points right now over Madrid with like 17 games to play? Yes. Yeah, yeah. With Madrid's win today, it's it's eight points. Yeah, which is which is crazy. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a fun time to be a soccer fan, unless you're an Arsenal fan. And I suppose we should talk about this game for a little bit as well. I mean, albeit briefly, and then talk about, uh, the Merseyside Derby as well, but, uh, Arsenal Man City playing today in a game that was rescheduled from when Queen Elizabeth died. Unfortunately, if the game had been played when it was first scheduled, Arsenal would have had both Thomas Partey and Gabriel Jesus. They ended up having neither of them and despite Bukayo Saka scoring a penalty, uh, you know, sort of following commands from Ederson on where to put the shot, Man City just have too much quality and too much depth. And uh, once they brought off Riyad Mahrez and played something like an orthodox back four, uh, the game just totally swung in favor of the citizens. And it's a deserved win 
for City, who moved back to the top of the table despite having played one more game than Arsenal. And uh, I was not surprised. I didn't think Arsenal had a chance this game. They've they uh, have not picked up points from Man City since Arteta took over. It's the t- it's our bogey team, uh, you know. So it's tough when your bogey team is the team that's fighting you for the championship. It's true. I mean, and Arsenal haven't beat Manchester City in the Premier League since I think 2015. Yeah, it's 12 games now without without points. From yeah, and you know, I know that Partey was 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 missing, but I actually thought you know Jorginho did pretty well. I I think you know he's he's a different player, but I think it wasn't it wasn't an awful performance. Really, you know, it was the other change to the starting eleven to an Arsenal team that you know have been probably had the most consistent starting 11 of any team in the league like that that might be wrong but certainly it they're one of the most consistent teams they don't rotate all that much um in the premier league at least you know it's tomiyasu coming in for ben white um made just a defensive error bad back pass that de bruyne pounced on to chip you know ramsdale who had no chance and i think unfortunately that came after, you know, a great spell of dominance um, by Arsenal throughout much of the first half. And I mean, overall, Arsenal outshot City narrowly. Um, they outpassed Manchester City. They outpossessed Manchester City. But six of Manchester City's nine shots were, you know, big chances. And so I think every chance that City got was very, very high quality. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Arsenal couldn't just muster, you know, the additional quality off their bench to really shift the tide of the game. Um, and now, you know, City are provisionally t- uh, top of the Premier League on, I don't know what the first tiebreaker is, whether it's, you know, results or goal difference, but both of those would go to um, City. Yeah, I, think it, I think it's goal difference and then head to head. Okay, but but again, both of those go to City, so... They've played a game more, but all of a sudden, you know, after only dropping seven points in the first, you know, 19 games of the Premier League season, Arsenal have dropped eight in their past three. And that, you know, eight point lead um, has evaporated, you know, zero with the asterisk of, you know, Arsenal have a game in hand. Um, And so suddenly, I think this this is kind of the make or break moment i think for arsenal's season in general right like they would have liked to have just gotten a draw here um but now they kind of have it all to do um i think and it's especially unfortunate that after all of the turmoil of the past week around manchester city um that it seems like they do just kind of have like an overwhelming amount of resources to call upon yeah, I mean, in a way, it's not entirely surprising because United, or rather, City dropped points after the World Cup break entirely because Pep Guardiola decided to experiment basically with like a three-two-four-one um, and play Rico Lewis out of position, et cetera, et cetera. When they really could have used, you know, their star players and the players who they've, you know paid hundreds of millions for and just played a slightly more orthodox formation and let the likes of De Bruyne go to work, which they were finally able to do in the second half today. But if it's any benefit, uh, you know, to Arsenal, Man City are involved in both the Champions League and also the FA Cup. Um, While Arsenal are, you know, they are playing in the Europa League, but that's not until mid-March. And City have a couple of more games 
between now and then, but you know, I think everyone is circling the Wednesday fixture again of City hosting Arsenal on Wednesday, April 26th as a potential uh, title decider. It is uh, a slightly easier run-in for Arsenal. The next couple of games, uh, Villa away, Leicester away, Everton at home, Bournemouth at home, uh, Fulham away, Palace at home, uh, Leeds at home. So really, the next month or so, you don't really see a team in the top 10 aside from Fulham. Um yeah. So and then on the be, city, right. And then on the yeah. city side of things, they also have, you know, I think a relatively forgiving schedule, um, at least in the league, you know, they play Nottingham Forest next, followed by Bournemouth. Uh, but then, you know, in early March, they do play, you know, Newcastle. Um, and I think Arsenal will definitely be hoping that, you know, Newcastle can get a, at least a draw um, in that game. And I do think it would be you know, somewhat funny if it was like another, you know, Gulf state behemoth powered team, albeit at a very different stage in its development, um, that, that was able to kind of rein city back in. But I think that's the fixture I circle at least, um, as being an opportunity for Arsenal to sort of gain some ground, um, against city in sort of the near, nearish future. Speaking of gaining ground, uh, Liverpool finally snapped out of it a little bit following a pretty up and down run of games since the World Cup break. They, you know, lost to Man City in the EFL Cup. They lost to Brentford. They drew with Wolves. Uh, they lost to Brighton twice and then lost to Wolves again. Uh, but they finally were able to get back on their feet against a Sean Dyche Everton team that had just beat Arsenal the weekend before. And Darwin Nunez looked pretty good as a left winger, which I think is interesting as well. But Mo Salah got in amongst the goals after some questionable goalkeeping decisions from Jordan Pickford. Cody Gakpo scored a tap-in off a nice uh, assist from, I think it was Trent Alexander-Arnold in the second half. For some reason, they don't have him being credited with the assist right now. I guess it's, it's a, it says it's deflected, but he definitely made the goal happen. Uh, Everton started Ellis Sims for some reason, as their striker, who has never really played above uh, League One consistently, and they didn't really look like much of a threat. Even once they went down 2-0 and started throwing bodies forward, they didn't look like much of a threat. I still think this team is going to be... I think I think this team is going to survive the drop. I think Dyche has them playing pragmatically, but... Uh, I thought you were talking about Liverpool for a second. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a real relegation six-pointer. Um, but huge for Liverpool to get back into the top half of the table and uh, to get a win on their plates before, you know, they've got, they've got Newcastle and then Real Madrid, which is a tough four days for them. But yeah, I thought this was, this was, this was not, again, not very aesthetically pleasing soccer. Uh, as the Merseyside Derby tends not to be. But it was a, a good win for Liverpool and probably deserved. And uh, sad Nick isn't here to sort of give us his take. Yeah, I thought this was... Obviously, this is a, a very important fixture for a lot of reasons. Um, and it ended as the Merseyside Derby has tended to end in you know, most recent seasons. I don't even know... Uh, the last time Everton have have won or even gotten a point out of this game. Um, I think it was important that they got Gakpo scoring. Well, they got scoring. a point out of the game in the fall, Caleb. Oh, okay. Well, I didn't remember that, so it's still a true statement. Um, <laughs> and they won last year as well, 2-0. Okay. 
whatever. In general, Liverpool are are the better team. That that's all I'm yes, saying. Yes, that is definitely true. Um, and certainly, you know, the fortunes of both clubs have tended to diverge quite dramatically um, over the past, you know, few seasons, really. Um, but I think it was important they got Gakpo scoring. I think it was an interesting tactical innovation to see Darwin Nunez playing more of a left winger role. Um, I thought it was good to see that Liverpool tried a more counter-attacking tactic, um, which really paid dividends. We'll see if it pays dividends against, you know, a better team. Um, but also just looking at the bench, I think the story of this year for Liverpool in a lot of ways has been just the fact that a lot of key players have really been missing um, from the team. But, you know, Jota came on in the 70th minute. Um, you know, Firmino was back. Um, Van Dyke was on the bench. And so I think there's still like a lot of games left in the season. And hopefully, you know, a victory against your local rivals, um, getting your January signing on the score sheet and getting some, you know, key leaders and players back can be kind of the grounds to, you know, kick on from here for Liverpool. Yeah. And it's interesting too, because you think about how Darwin Nunez played at Benfica and they were also a team that I think counterattacked a lot in the Champions League, which is where he had some of his best performances or certainly biggest performances. Um, so it's it was good to see him. I think he is obviously not the most technical player when it comes to like the quality of his touch, but he is absolutely rapid. And so I thought that worked really well and he could drift centrally a bit like... Um, you know, if you if you took Sadio Mane but gave him Lukaku's touch. So I'm curious, you know, if this is going to be something that works for a long time. I'm also curious, you know, does this sort of Firmino returning from injury and signing a new contract, do they experiment with Nunez and Firmino in the same eleven? Uh how would that work? I think there are options for sure. Uh Joe, Joe Gomez looked pretty good, uh, which was a relief because he's had a rough go of things, both in terms of like injuries and form. Trent Alexander-Arnold looked really, really good as well. So I think it's a bit of a truism to say that like when the team plays well, like their players look good. Um, but then the last player to highlight, I think, is Stefan Bajsicic, who uh, is only 18 years old, but has been getting a couple of games in this Liverpool team. And people have dubbed him like the next Busquets. I don't totally see that because he's pretty skinny. Like he's 6'1", but maybe like 145 pounds. But I thought he looked really good. He had one tackle in the second half where he like went sliding in with two feet and I was like, yes, this is, this is football heritage. So good for him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, his, his past completion rate was also only 77% in this game, you know, albeit in a counterattacking performance, but uh, that might be a bit premature, but certainly he has been, you know, a positive contributor for a team that has needed a midfielder. Um, and I think he is, you know, more defensive minded than say, you know, a Harvey Elliott for instance. And so I think he's perhaps better placed to kind of shore up uh, the the midfield for Liverpool. So certainly a, a player to watch. Um, and we'll see kind of how he fits into the squad when, you know, more of the team is actually, you know, available um, for selection. Yeah. And then as we mentioned, you know, Liverpool have Real Madrid and Newcastle, not in that order, Newcastle this weekend, and then Real Madrid uh, on next Tuesday as their next couple of games. Uh, Arsenal have Villa on Saturday. Uh, looking ahead to this upcoming weekend, 
not a whole lot of marquee fixtures. Uh, Bayern play Mönchengladbach in the uh, the Jan Sommer Derby. Uh, Newcastle Liverpool is the is the fixture of the day on Saturday in the Prem. Uh, you've got some good La Liga games potentially on Sunday with Atleti versus Bilbao, um, and then Barca versus Cadiz, which is a game that uh, features the first versus sixteenth in La Liga. Uh, and that's pretty much it. Union plays bottom of the table Schalke, which I believe is a fixture that they bl- they 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 really sort of emerged onto the scene earlier this year, uh, in maybe like the first or second match week. But otherwise, pretty light week domestically. Um, PSG Lille on Sunday morning at seven. Um, if you have Bian, which I don't think either of us do. Actually, Caleb, you do. But do I? Do I do, through Fubo maybe? I don't. I don't have. Oh, I do through Fubo. You're right. They I do. they dropped it from Fanatis, so I no longer ah. have it. And then I also canceled my Fanatis subscription. Hey. But, uh, <laughs> whatever. The point is, the best. The next good soccer games come on Tuesday with uh, Liverpool, Real Madrid, Frankfurt, Napoli, and of course, uh, for Brexit fans, Millwall versus Burnley in the championship. Oh my God! But... Don't get me started. No. <laughs> <laughs> I actually. Uh, this is funny. Before we go, I was at the gym on. Uh, I was at the gym yesterday during the Bayern game, and I was like, "This game is boring as hell. What should I watch?" And so I watched like twenty minutes of Watford versus Burnley, and it was pretty good. It was pretty good soccer. Uh, Burnley got a ninety-sixth minute equalizer, and uh, that's that. But uh, any any fun weird stories from the soccer world the last couple of days that we want to touch on before we say goodbye? Any like weird any weird moments? Uh, just that the Salerno Tonic coach is getting fired again. Right? Oh yes, after coming back, yeah, he's now being <laughs> replaced by. Um... And to our knowledge, he's not like coming back no it's not another gimmick you know yeah so um yeah uh i think oh madrid won the the club world cup whoop de doo oh yeah who cares they gave up they gave up sneaky three goals in like the last 10 minutes though to uh luciano dario vieto who uh as we mentioned in our group chat was like briefly an atleti player for like one year Dude, there's like a whole, I feel like, tier of 79 rated cams and strikers in soccer that just populate all of these. Like, like Chinese, Saudi, Russian leagues. Yeah, like Turkish league to a lesser extent. Um, and it's just kind of funny, but it's definitely like they tend to be like South American, I feel like, or non-European a lot of the time. Um yeah, Vincent Abubakar is like a good example of of this sort of type. Yeah, of some like some like good African strikers Musa as well. Morega. You have like one or two right. good years at like a, a Porto, exactly, or a Raga, and then you take the money and run. Which like to be fair, yeah, I mean like didn't didn't Villarreal sell like Bakambu to some Chinese team for like seventy million like four years ago or something like that? Yeah, um, I think frankly it's good for everyone involved because uh, you know the players get generational wealth, and uh, you know if you're I think that's it. it's very no, that's big, that's yeah. I mean, like, yeah, if I you have it's, it's clubs totally willing valid, to pay right? over the odds for a guy, like no one in no one in Europe is buying Bakambu for seventy million, right? Except so it would be a very Everton transfer, actually. That's true. But, yeah. No, they have Sims now. They don't need Bakambu. What They've are you got talking Ellis about? Sims, who yeah. I signed. I signed on FIFA twenty uh, when I did my uh, take Northampton Town to the Premier League challenge. I think he ended up as like a seventy. Did you overall. succeed? 
Uh, no, I got no. really bored. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, uh, that, career mode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's it on other, stories for me. But I guess the other exciting thing was that Chelsea fan who got knocked out in front of their uh, before their game on Saturday. That was pretty. That was pretty entertaining. Uh, but, okay. Yeah, pretty well. slow. Pretty slow week. Otherwise. Um, yeah, good, good that Europe's just, back because otherwise yeah, some of these fixtures yeah, yeah. would I be mean, a little you have, drab. You do have City fans creating a chant about their lawyer, Lord Panic, which I think is um, new levels of like, which sounds uh, like a name of a Sith. Awareness. No, truly, like Lord it's like Panic. it's like the equivalent of you like Savage, you know, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it's um, we live in a simulation. I think is the conclusion we do live in a simulation. I've, I've reached. Which yeah, we do. It's freeing. It's freeing in its way. True. Uh, no, once you accept that absurdism is actually the, the the most objectively correct form of life, you absolutely. Become a lot happier. Absolutely. Um, uh, speaking of which, I think it's about time to go play the new uh, Rebirth Island mode of Call of Duty. So, oh my it's, god, uh, probably time to to bid adieu. Uh, yes. Again, on this on this platform, on this, on this platform at the very least. Um, but. Next time we should potentially have Nick, depending on his his show schedule, and we'll hopefully have some more entertaining games to talk about. Um, hopefully, you know we see more than five goals in the next uh, you know round of Champions League games. But until next time, I have been Nathan Strauss, Caleb Rhodes, and we will see you then. See you all next time.